Good morning. Uh, welcome to our gathering at Stone Oak Bible Church. If this is our first Sunday with us, uh, let me just say welcome. We are so glad that you've decided to uh, take this day and, and come to church and join with us. You should have received uh, one of these on your way in. It's just a simple connection card. If you look at the bottom half, it is perforated. The reason it's perforated is that you can rip it off. Uh, what we would like for you to do, if it's your first time with us or if you've never filled one of these out, if you could just simply fill it out for us, just give you your, your name and some contact information so we can reach out to you uh, and let you know a little bit more about us as a church. Uh, so you can kind of look at our website, kind of explore who we are as a church. Uh, and also you can distribute those and there's a little black box on a large black table in the back uh, that you can slide those in. That's also where uh, if you decide to give, you can give it in that box or of course you can give online or you can also give through our app as well. Another important thing, uh, that you might not have heard yet, if this is your first time, the restrooms, straight out that door and immediately turn right, and that's where the restrooms are. Uh, thank you, Kathy, for reading uh, scripture. Thank you, John Mark. That was an excellent time of worship. Thank you to the, the guys that set this up in the mornings. Uh, well done today. So this is the first Sunday where we're like, what, did we like forget something? Was there something extra that we forgot to do because we were done in a record amount of time, I think it took us about 45 minutes to get everything set up and begin sound check. Uh, first Sunday, by the way, well, it took us two hours, but that's okay. We're, we're beginning to get into a rhythm. Uh, if you would like to join us in that avenue of serving to help get everything set up, uh, feel free to reach out to Valentine. He's the guy that can, can connect you with that. For many of you, I, am, uh, I might be a new face. Uh, you haven't seen me on this stage. You're unsure of who is that guy that is speaking this morning. I didn't know we were having a guest preacher. Uh, let me just introduce myself. So I am Craig. Hello. Um, I'm Craig. I'm the associate pastor here at Stone Oak Bible, um, which associate pastor is one of those titles that you never really know what they do. Uh, the reason I have the title of associate pastor is because I have many hats that I juggle. So if you're not really sure who's in charge of it, it's probably me. So if you're unsure of what do I do as far as like this, and you're thinking, well, Justin isn't really doing that, and I don't think it's Valentine's job, most likely if you email it to me, most likely I can either direct you to who it actually is, or I can help you out myself. Uh, the main reason that I'm up here today, though, uh, one of the reasons I'm up here today, is because we as Stone Oak Bible Church, um, we are not tied to one individual. We are not the church of Justin. We are not the church of Justin preaching to us every Sunday. We are a church that believes that uh, qualified men are able to preach. And one of the things that we do by having different people in this position of preaching is it's kind of, a, kind of an undertone that we as a church hold this in authority. We hold the word of God uh, to a very high standard. So high that we will have many times many different men up here who are preaching. And one of our, the things that we want to show is that we are men who stand underneath the word of God. That we are a church who stands underneath the authority of scripture. That we are not a church who stands underneath the authority of one individual. And so throughout the course, if you stick around with us for a while, you'll see many different individuals up here preaching. Justin will be, of course, uh, preaching the most. But we like to give the guys some Sundays off every once in a while. Uh, I talked to him last night. I was like, dude, you have nothing to do tomorrow. It's got to be so weird for you. He's been kind of in this I've got to preach next Sunday mode from really the beginning. And so I'm sure it's a very different Sunday for him to kind of sit in a, a chair and kind of observe this. 
but we will have many different individuals up here preaching uh, just to show that it is not a church of one individual, but it is a church that is founded upon and grounded upon the scriptures of God. Uh, if you will, you should have your Bibles open to the first chapter of James. We're continuing. We're in a, a series here as we're walking through the book of James. We haven't made it very far, uh, and it's going to be a slow process. So bear with us. We'll get through it eventually. Uh, but we're, we like to walk through the, the book of James as a, uh, a, a corpus, a section. If you're with us last week, Justin walked us through the beginning. He walked us through the, the introduction uh, verse one, simply, greetings. That's well done, James. Good introduction. We're glad you've decided to introduce us to the letter in such an intense fashion. Just simply, greetings. Thanks, James. Uh, and then he walked us through verses two through four. The book of James is a very interesting book uh, because it is a book that everything almost seems to mesh together. That it's a book that is very different and very unique and that it's not a bunch of individual thoughts all put into a letter, but it is written just as a simple letter is, where you begin at the beginning, you can read all the way through, and it makes sense as you're going through. If you've never read a book all the way through, uh, James is a great place to start. I once had a seminary professor who said, you know, it's, it's God's intent that every one of us reads the books of the Bible in context. And his idea of in context was, from verse 1 of chapter 1 until the last verse of the last chapter in one sitting, which you're thinking, that's excellent, until you think, I'm going to start in the book of Matthew. This is going to be great. And you look at it, and you're like, 28 chapters, okay, I can do this. And so you begin, and you get to go through, and then you're like, man, I'm really hungry, though. I don't think he meant I'm supposed to read it all the way through and not eat, so I'm going to take a little break. Hey, actually, Sports Center's on. This is going to be great. I'm going to take a break and watch Sports Center. And then by the time you're done, you're like, wow, I made it through... Four chapters, that was well done, yay me. The book of James is a much smaller book, so it's much easier to do. There's five chapters in it. And if you've never read a book through, uh, begin with the book of James. Because with the book of James, like I said, it's, there's a, a connected piece that what Justin began last week continues on this week. In fact, it continues with almost the same term. Look with me back one verse. We're reading in verse 4. And right at the end of verse 4, the end of verse 4 says that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Then we pick it up in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, James chooses to use the word lack as almost a transition piece. In our English text, it's a little bit different than it is even in the Greek text. In the Greek text, it inserts a word which helps us, I believe, understand a little bit better. It inserts the word but right at the beginning of verse 5. It's a, this sounds fun, a weak but. It's not a strong, definite but, but it is a, a weak but. And so that helps me kind of understand the letter of James, and this especially verse 5 here, that it is a, a but in there. But if any of you lack wisdom... That was a relief for me, because leaving last week, the last section there, lacking in nothing. Wow, that's a little tough for me to do there, James. Thank you for inserting that. Thank you for showing me where I lack in everything. Uh, thank you for reminding me that I lack in the relationship with my children. Thanks, I appreciate that, James. Thanks for showing me the I lack in my relationship with my wife at times. Thanks for showing me I lack in, in my daily activities, my daily actions. And yet James says I'm supposed to be lacking in nothing. 
And then we go to verse five, but, oh good, there's a but, there's gotta be, but every one of you lacks in everything. That would be great, please put that in there. But if any of you lacks in wisdom, in wisdom, wisdom is the piece that James chooses to insert here. I wish it was everything, because I could relate to that a whole lot better than simply one word, and that one word he chooses is wisdom. That's tough. I think James chooses the word wisdom, though, because the word wisdom is so important. Wisdom is something that we hear about quite often. We hear about it not within the walls of the church, but you hear wisdom of outside the church as well. Uh, do me a favor. Everybody close your eyes for a second. We're going to go on a, a little journey here. Just close your eyes. I know everybody's like, this is awkward. I'm going to fall asleep. It's okay. Just don't snore. Close your eyes. And I want you to think of somebody that you consider to be wise. Someone that you think of that has a lot of wisdom. Think about their actual physical appearance, what they actually look like. Think about their face, possibly their wrinkles, possibly the color of their hair. Think about the experiences in life that they have gone through. This individual, think about the actions that they do. The actions that you have seen that, you make, that make you think, this person is a wise individual. Can okay, everybody open up your eyes? Now, we should have that individual firmly planted within our minds of who that individual is. With wisdom, we typically, and I, I bet some of you did this, we typically think of wisdom defined by age. That wisdom usually has gray hair. Wisdom usually has not only the wrinkles, but they are the deep wrinkles, the experience wrinkles, the wrinkles that say, I've gone through a lot and it shows on my face. That's usually whenever we think of wisdom. Those are the individuals we usually point to. However, we also, every one of us, know of people that have those deep wrinkles, that have that gray hair, which are not wise. People that we think you should be wise, but you are not there, and it is very evident to everyone around you. And so I believe that wisdom has very little to do with age. And I think James points to that as well. That wisdom is not a quality defined by age. That at any age we can be wise. And James, I think, uh, shows us that as we go through this letter. There is always more wisdom to be gained as well. We are never the wisest. We are never, okay, I've got all the wisdom I need. I can now stop being wise because I've obtained it. You are all welcome. Come hang out with me and I will show you how wise I truly am. Which what you've just said is, I am so unwise, I don't even realize how unwise I truly am. Uh, we've been discussing wisdom now for a couple minutes, but we've done what we usually fail to do. That's simply define wisdom. What in the world is wisdom? This is something that our society constantly tries to do. Uh, it's something that we see throughout church history as well. Uh, if we look at his individual, such as Augustine. Augustine spends his almost his entire life searching for what is truth. What is it that is wise? What actions should I be doing which are wise actions? What should I be doing? What should I be reading? Who should I be studying that shows wisdom? We can oftentimes point to people that we say are wise. We can often point to people that we say are unwise. And we can see the actions of them that determine wise or unwise. But it's tough to actually define what wisdom is. Webster, Merriam-Webster, grabbed the dictionary and I looked it up. Here's how Merriam-Webster says wisdom is defined as. Wisdom is knowledge that is gained by having 
many experiences in life. I'll say it again. Webster says, wisdom is knowledge that is gained by having many experiences in life. This definition picks up on two main ideas, experience and knowledge, okay? Experience and knowledge. Although wisdom contains knowledge and knowledge is required for wisdom, knowledge is much different than wisdom. The Merriam-Webster definition I don't really care for because the Merriam-Webster definition says that in order to be wise, you must experience. If you do not experience, you do not gain knowledge, and therefore if you do not gain knowledge from that experience, you are not wise. I have a problem with that definition. I don't need to do a lot of hard drugs to realize that's a non-wise decision. I don't need that experience of seeing people that have gone through uh, a tough life of drug use to realize that's not a wise decision I want to follow. Yet, based upon Merriam-Webster's Webster's definition, in order for me to be wise in that, I must have first experienced it and then gained the knowledge, which then gives me the wisdom. It's a big issue I have with that definition. So with that then, what is our definition? If Merriam-Webster, the dictionary of dictionaries, can't even define wisdom, then how in the world are we going to define wisdom? Like I said earlier, we are a church that is founded upon God's word, and so I think the best place to begin is simply by looking at what the Bible has to say concerning wisdom. Let's see if we can create a biblical definition then of wisdom. Uh, if we look at the book of James, which the book of James, you don't instantly think of wisdom. However, the book of James has a couple of different titles. In your Bible, most likely, it's either simply titled James, the book of James, or the letter of James. But it has one additional title that was used back in the early church. And it was simply called the wisdom of James. It's called the wisdom of James because there's such a practical nature within this letter. Within the letter of James, there's a very practical piece to it. It's not a very lofty theological letter, but it is a very on-the-ground, kind of boots-on-the-ground type of letter. And so James is a great place to look for what is wisdom. We can go through this entire letter, and hopefully by the time we're done through this series of the book of James, you'll have a better understanding of wisdom because he touches on this topic quite a few times throughout the letter. However, I think there's a better place to look even for wisdom. We have a section within our Bible, it's called simply wisdom literature. It's books that we have uh, put into categories. And out of wisdom literature, probably the one that you think of the most for wisdom is the book of Proverbs. Book of Proverbs is a book simply of Proverbs, a book of wisdom throughout. I'm going to read four Proverbs to you. Just listen to them concerning wisdom. The first one, Proverbs 2, verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. For the Lord gives wisdom. Proverbs 2, 6. Proverbs 3, 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, Proverbs 3.13. Next one, Proverbs 24.13 through 14. This is my favorite one. If you only read verse 13, it's very odd until you put verse 14 with it. Let me just read verse 13 to you. My son, eat honey for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Thanks, that's awesome. I love honey, yay honey. But then we read verse 14. So we begin with honey is sweet. There is a, a satisfaction that comes through honey. In verse 14, know 
that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Let me read that again. My son, eat honey, for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. And the last one, Proverbs 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold. To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. There's just four texts I've pulled from the book of Proverbs, which I believe give us a, a good overview of wisdom. Wisdom is as sweet as honey. causes the one who finds it to be blessed, and it's better than gold. Sounds like a great thing, yet we still haven't really defined wisdom. In Proverbs, the, the idea of wisdom is even personified. They even place wisdom in the, uh, the nature and the gender of a female. And so they, they try to put actual flesh on wisdom to help us understand this very tough concept of wisdom. Dr. Charles Stanley wrote a book on wisdom, uh, written many books. And one of his books on wisdom, he was going through, uh, it was a process of promoting the book. And as he's going through with this process of promoting the book, he is uh, at one time interviewed. I just want to read this uh, interviewer's question regarding wisdom and then read Dr. Charles Stanley's response to it. So here's the question that the interviewer is asking. What's the difference between the, what the world would call wisdom and the biblical definition of wisdom? It seems those concepts are very different. And here's how he responds. He says, yes, very different. Because the Bible says that wisdom is knowing and doing what is right. I think a lot of people, even Christians, are willing to be satisfied with gaining lots and lots of biblical knowledge. And many people go to Bible studies and don't realize it isn't enough to know what's right. It's applying the information and the knowledge you have. The world thinks wisdom, for example, is that if it works, it must be the wise thing to do. If it's profitable, it is the wise thing to do. If it makes me feel good or gives me security, it must be the wise thing to do. But some of those things are destructive. And so the truth is, it's doing the right thing and not just knowing what the right thing is. That's how Dr. Charles Stanley kind of defines what wisdom is. He says, wisdom is doing the right thing, not just knowing what the right thing is. There's an action that comes through wisdom. We define people as wise or unwise, not based upon what they know, not based upon how they look, but we define wise and unwise based upon action. Within wisdom, there is a piece that requires action. We've titled this whole series, as, uh, the series of James, as Faith Does. Faith Does. If we had to summarize the whole book, uh, we feel like Faith Does is a great piece James is a book concerning faith. It has uh, faith mentioned a number of times, as well as the does, the action piece of faith is very important throughout the book of James. Wisdom is more than just simply faith. Wisdom is faith that does. Wisdom has a sense of action within the sense of faith as well. James picks up on this idea. We're gonna go through it in a couple of weeks. James chapter two where James walks through the idea that faith without works is dead. Faith does. Wisdom does. 
wisdom is also a whole lot more than simply knowledge. Wisdom is taking that knowledge that we have gained, the knowledge that God has granted us, and it's actually applying it. It's a call to action. I can definitely relate to this. If we look back what Justin went over last week, verses two through four, how many times while we're in those trials, the trials of various kinds, how many times do we say, you know what, God, I know that you're working this out for my good, and God, I know that this is going to produce steadfast in me, and thank you so much for putting me in this trial. Oftentimes we don't. Oftentimes I don't. When I'm going through this trial, I'm not thinking, God, bless you for uh, giving me this wonderful trial that I get to suffer through. I am so excited to go through this. If I'm real and if I'm honest, most of the time I'm thinking, this is terrible. I want to get out of the situation as quickly as possible. God, show me the quickest route to get through this trial, not thank you, God, for giving me steadfastness through this trial. I usually lack wisdom in these times. And James here, as he's picking up on the idea of wisdom, is doing it while he's thinking through the, tiles, the times of trials and tribulations that we go through. Let me hit the pause button first and tell you how I came to Stone Oak. Uh, so I am not originally from San Antonio. I am not even originally from Texas. I'm from a great state that has four seasons called Missouri. It's a beautiful country if you've never been through there. We do have seasons. We do have this thing called winter, and we have summer uh, that is not like the face of the sun. Uh, but I am from Missouri. Um, I'll just give you a quick condensed version of how I came to Stone Oak. Let me just fast forward a little bit. I was living in Dallas at the time. I moved to Dallas to uh, pursue a seminary degree. And so I'm living in Dallas. Uh, I'm on my last semester of school. And my last semester of school uh, was a very tough semester for me school-wise. I had a number of courses that I had now chosen. They weren't like the required courses. They were the courses that were designed around whatever you want to do. And so for me, I took a number of discipleship courses. Uh, I took a number of like small group kind of courses. Uh, and discipleship courses are tough because they expect you to grow and to be discipled. That's a tough process. It's not the easiest thing in the world to, to do that. And so I was being changed and molded from my professors, which is a great thing. It was one of the best times of my life. Hard time, but it was the best time. As well as my wife and I at the time just had our first son. In fact, I graduated on Saturday, and on Tuesday we had our first child, which that's a whole new world right there. And at the same time, I had an internship. I was an intern at a church for a little over a year, and the internship ended that exact same time as graduation. So this was a big May for me. So May I graduated, May I, we had our first child, and May uh, my church internship was now complete. I had a part-time job at the time, which was great. It helped to supplement uh, Wendy's full-time job and helped to supplement our income. But during this last semester, I knew that I was going to be going towards a church somehow, some way. And so I began the process of applying. The last six months is whenever they say that you should begin sending out your resume. So the first month I spent the time really polishing up my resume and making it look as good as possible and uh, trying to just show my heart in the form of a piece of paper, which is so tough to do. Uh, and one of the things, they always tell you like in a business world, don't include pictures, that's never a good thing. In the church world, they're like, include as many pictures of your family as you can. Uh, if they don't think you're attractive, at least they'll say, hey, someone thought he was attractive at one time and maybe somebody likes him. And, and then you, if you have pictures of your kids, it shows, hey, you're in a different life stage, you're kind of settled down. And so I thought, okay, I'll put a newborn baby picture up there. This will be great for us. 
And so we're in this process of applying for jobs the last six months, and I thought, I'm not expecting to really get a job at this time while I'm still in school. I don't yet have my degree. I'm still verbally committed to the church I was on staff at, and it's not really the best time to move whenever your wife is in the last trimester of pregnancy. Uh, move as in like move through the house. You have to like sneak the entire time. Just kidding. But it's, it's not the best time of transition for me. And so I wasn't expecting at the time to get a job, but I was expecting like to apply and to, to get the idea going. And so I wasn't really bummed that bad uh, that I hadn't had a job at graduation. But at the point of graduation, I thought, okay, this is it. This is now I've got my degree. It's not your degree is anticipation. Uh, it's not we have to wait for you to finish school. But I have now the piece of paper. I also have now the church internship is over. I'm no longer verbally committed to be on staff at that church. And we're now in a new life stage. We now have a family. It's not just my wife and I. We have now inserted a child into the mix. Things are looking great. Perfect. So I began applying very intently then. I was looking for jobs as associate pastor. Uh, I was looking at jobs for discipleship pastor. These are the two avenues. Discipleship is really where my heart is and where, really what drives me. And so I began applying and applying and applying. Uh, there's a number of church, it's kind of like monster.com or Indeed. There's a number of church versions of that where you go on there and you can see what churches are looking for pastors and what the requirements are. And so I'm beginning this process of applying. For the next year, I was applying and applying and applying and applying and applying and applying and getting rejected. This is this is terrible. This is not what I expected. Three different times it came down to me and one other candidate. And they ended up going with the other guy. It's very disheartening. It's not the best feeling in the world where you think, yes, this job is going to work out wonderfully. These people are going to love me. It's going to be the best church ever. Hey, we actually don't want you. Oh, okay, well, Back to square one now after I've gone through this three-month process of filling out all these forms and doing all these interviews. And now I've got to begin that whole thing again, and I've got no prospects. I have no idea what's out there for me. It was a tough time. It was a, a big trial within my life, within Wendy's life. I felt like I had done my job. I felt like I had done what God had asked of me. God, I went to school like I thought you were directing me. I did this internship like I thought you had guided me. I feel like I've done my part, God. Where are you? You aren't doing yours. You haven't yet shown up. I had the knowledge at the time. I had the knowledge at the time that God had a plan for me. God had a perfect plan for me. In fact, God was putting me through a trial. I understood that. I did not have the wisdom in that moment, though. In that moment, although I had the knowledge, my actions said completely differently. There was a lack of wisdom within myself. That I thought I had what, what I thought God was was not who I saw God as, and so then I acted completely differently. I was very upset. I was very, it was almost a, a stage of depression where I felt like this was what God had. What have I done? Have I missed something? It was a tough time for me. Looking back on it now, I see what God was doing. I see that God told me no so many times for the one time he could tell me yes, which is why I'm here in San Antonio, Texas. Of all places in the United States that I ever thought I would live, it would never be, first of all, in the state of Texas. Second of all, in San Antonio, 
This is like as far south as I have ever been in, in my entire life is the San Antonio, Texas area. And somehow, someway, I am so excited to be here. I'm so excited to see God's hand throughout the process, to see that God had a purpose even whenever I doubted him, to see that God's plan was perfect. Although I did not understand it at the time, God showed me later on the wisdom that he had for me. I was lacking in wisdom, and God at that time had a solution. And it's an easy solution. Look at verse 5 with me. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. That's the solution that he gives us. It's a very simple solution. Simply, ask God. That's a very simple solution to a very difficult problem. A very difficult problem of wisdom, yet we give him this simple solution, ask God. It sounds so easy. It sounds like the magic pill that Justin was talking about last week, that as we go through these trials and temptations, we're doing it like I did, where we want the quick way out. We're not saying thank you for this, but we're trying to find what's the quickest way to get out of this. It's the, the magic pill of our society that I want the best results with the least amount of work. That's what we have here. We have the, I'll give you wisdom, this great, magical, huge, totally hard to understand idea. And here's how you get it. Ask God. Very simple. It's opposite of what we would expect it to be. We would expect it to be a whole lot harder, a whole lot deeper, because it is wisdom after all. In verse 5, we also get a bit of theology within this section. Let him ask God, and then we get, who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. We do serve a generous God. God is a generous being and gives gifts generously. In fact, we see uh, throughout Scripture that the church, each one of us as individuals, has been given gifts. Gifts which we are then to exercise within the body of the church, which then is the edification, the building up of the church. God is a generous giver. Even when we are not generous receivers, God is still a generous giver. This idea of, if you lack wisdom, simply ask, seems very, like, where's the catch? This feels like a bait and switch. This feels like there's more coming. You actually owe me $10,000. I told you I was going to give you free lawn care, but what I meant by free lawn care is that you actually pay me. I don't know how this works out, but it apparently does. It feels kind of like that, like there is a catch, like I'm missing something here. I think James picked up on that. If we look at verses 6 through 8, we can see that James kind of picks up on this idea. Verses 6 through 8 describe us the way in which we should ask. The way in which we approach God. Let me read it. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man unstable in all his ways. So how do we then ask God? Without doubt. Doubt is the piece that, that James chooses to pick up on here. Doubt is the opposite of faith. Doubt is the opposite of the steadfastness that we saw back in verse 3. The steadfastness that we gain through these trials and temptations, that's the opposite of this doubt here. James is saying here, hey, remember that trial that I was talking about in verse 2? Remember that temptation back in verse 2? Do you remember the God who was in charge of that? 
Do you remember the God who gave you the steadfastness out of that? That's the same God here. There's no reason to doubt me. I am a generous God who gives gifts generously. I believe that this is discussing specifically how we ask God for wisdom, but I don't think it's a step too far out to say this is general prayer guidelines as well. That when we approach the throne of grace, when we uh, come to God through prayer, that we come to him with a spirit that is with the doubt removed. James isn't saying, though, that we will never have doubts. In fact, that's probably the opposite of majority of our experience within Christianity. That majority of us, most of the time, if we are honest, have said, you know what, there have been times where I've doubted. I've doubted things such as, is God good? Uh, I've doubted things such as, God, do you have a plan for me? I've doubted things such as, is Christianity even real? There are doubts which occur within us. James is not saying doubt will not occur. Doubt happens. We can all see that we've all experienced that. I'm going to give you two things I think that we need to do whenever doubt does happen. Whenever doubt happens, first, we need to be honest and say, I'm doubting. And the first step we need to take when we're doubting is to go to God. Go to God in his word, which is revealed to us. Go to God in the way that he has chosen to speak to his people, which is through his word. And the second aspect of what do we do whenever we doubt? Surround yourself with mature Christians. Surround yourself with the Christians that you say, those individuals are wise. One of the ways that we do that here at Stone Oak is through our community groups. Our community groups uh, meet on weekly basis. Uh, we have some incredible leaders. We have some incredible leaders who have blessed uh, me personally, uh, and I know Justin as well. Um, they are groups which are discussing what we discuss on Sunday mornings. We have curriculum that is based upon the sermon from that Sunday, so that we as a church are all unified in what we are speaking on, uh, as well as we get time then to uh, dive a little bit deeper into what we've seen and what we've heard from uh, that previous week. Whenever there are times of doubt, Go to God through his word, through prayer, as well as surround yourself with mature Christian believers. If you're not yet in a community group and that's something that you're interested in, please feel free to shoot me an email. Just simply craig at stoneoakbible.com. I would love to get you connected with uh, some of our leaders. We have a brand new group, which is about to start in the next week or so. Uh, so if you are interested in that, please let me know. James go on to tell us in verse 8 here about the double-minded man. He said, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The double-minded man is walking amongst us constantly. Uh, we are always surrounded by the double-minded man. And what James mean, means here with the double-minded man, it's kind of like uh, someone who is standing on both sides, both in the world and standing upon God's promises, standing on what Christ has done. Unsure of where the loyalty lies, uh, unsure of where you stand, unsure of what's coming up next, where we're heading to. The double-minded man isn't firmly rooted in the truths of God. The double-minded man uh, is not firmly planted and firmly anchored. Hebrews 6.19 tells us about Christ being the anchor of our soul. That Christ is the thing which holds us down. The anchor of our soul. It's contrast to what we see here, verse uh, 6. Doubt is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. It will come times of trials where you are driven and tossed by the wind. What happens is where does your anchor lie, though? Is your anchor firmly planted within Christ or is your anchor firmly planted within the world? 
The double-minded man is unsure of where that anchor lies. Simply a drop and hope it lands on something good. At times, there seems to be a disconnect uh, between our knowledge of God and our actions or the wisdom. We understand the correct thing to do, but we, at times, do the opposite. We know God is creator, and he has created every one of us in his image, but we often forget that. Uh, We've heard it called spiritual amnesia, where you even forget things such as the gospel. You You forget the great work which Christ has done. A few verses ahead, though, we get some encouragement. We get to see what God has done on our behalf. Look with me, verses 16 through 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Verse 16 is kind of like the wake up call. Don't be deceived. Don't forget this. Wake up. What I'm about to say is very important. God is perfect and God is good. He is an unchanging God. This is in contrast to what we see in verse 6. Tossed by the waves and the winds, our God is an unchanging God. He's a God that gives great gifts. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. He is a generous giver of perfect gifts. And verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. God has made us a new creation. He's made us a new creation through the word of truth, through the gospel, through the man, Jesus Christ. Because of that, we are now standing before as new creations. God has created everything, and it was good. It was perfect. God created man, and man chose to sin. Man took that upon himself, and through this process has separated both man and God. However, we see verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. Christ has come. Christ has come and has lived the perfect life, died the perfect death, and has taken my place upon the cross. He has bared my sin and bared my shame, which then because of his death, because of his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, I now am standing in a right relationship with God the Father. That is a huge piece. But James doesn't just choose to end there. He doesn't just say God has brought us forth by the word of truth. There's a little comma there, and there's a very important piece. There's a wisdom piece. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So oftentimes when we hear the word first fruits, we usually think of uh, tithes or offering, that it is uh, the beginning of the harvest, the beginning of the grain. It's the best of the best. It's the, the very first of the fruits. However, it's not what James is referring to here. He's not referring to tithing. He's not referring to offering. He's referring here to salvation. That we all, because of the word of truth, because of Christ redeeming us, we are now the first fruits. We have a mission that James reminds us of that mission here. Our mission as first fruits is to bring the rest of the harvest. 
to proclaim the message of Christ, to proclaim the word of truth is now the mission that we have been given as first fruits. If the band would mind uh, coming forward at this time. I'm gonna walk us through a time of prayer and a time of reflection. Uh, during this time of prayer, I want us to, to seek God. I want us to seek God uh, through the means which he has given us through prayer. For some of you, it might be simply saying, God, I desire your wisdom. It tells us, verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. It's a tough idea of wisdom, but yet a simple command. So some of you this morning are going to ask God, please, God, just give me some of your wisdom. Uh, help me through this circumstance. Help me see the end without actually going there yet. Uh, for others of you, it might be a time of repentance that God, that double-minded man, rings true within my life that I am unsure of where my anchor stands and where my anchor lies. For others of you, it might be the very first time you've heard even the message of Christ. If that's the case, I ask you to seek God in this time. Ask God to reveal himself to you through his son. At this time, if everybody would just mind bowing your heads, I'll give you a little time of reflection, a couple minutes of prayer, and then I'll close us. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you are good. Lord, I thank you for you being a perfect God and giving of perfect gifts. Father, I ask that you would give us wisdom, that you would be the head of this church, Lord. And Father, that we would constantly be seeking who you are and that you would guide us, Father. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word, Lord. Father, forgive us for being the double-minded man. Forgive us, Lord, when we look at the world and what the world has to offer, and we say, that is better than, than you, Lord. And Father, I thank you for sending Christ. Thank you for sending your son to die upon the cross for my sin. That through his death, Lord, through his resurrection, I can stand before you as a son. That nothing I have done, Lord, uh, gets me to that position or gets me to that seed, Father, but it is what your son has accomplished upon the cross. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you, Lord, for what you have done. Lord, I thank you for this church. I pray, Lord, that this would be a wise church a church that is not just a knowledgeable church or a group of people who know a lot. But Lord, we could be a church that is a wise church that puts knowledge to action, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise all in your son's holy and precious name.